Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad continues in his sermon series titled Counterculture as he speaks about being thankful no matter the hardships, trials, and circumstances we are facing. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. Today, we're continuing in our sermon series called Counterculture. For those of you that have been here for a a few months now, a couple months, we've been diving into some of the culture and the time's most um, divisive and sensitive topics and issues, many of which, unfortunately, the church over the past 20, 30 years, and especially over the past 5 to 10, has gone silent on. And will not touch, will not speak about. And we've dived, we have uh, taken a journey and have been able to dive into all of those and take a scriptural, biblical journey into what Christ says about all of those. So if you've missed any and all of that, go back through our our Facebook um, page or you can go through our YouTube channel and catch a lot of those messages. And uh, you won't want to miss it because it will give some great biblical understanding as to how we are to engage the culture, guys, and what the Lord would have to say. Today, of course, preparing for Thanksgiving, we have a message that's kind of wrapped in uh, a thankfulness concept. And inside of it, still facing something in our counterculture series that is so prevalent today, and it's that of idolatry. Because I don't know if you know it, you and I, every single one of us, are prone to having an idol in our life. And you may say, come on, Brad, I don't know what you're talking about. I ain't made no graven image in my house. I don't have a, a gold statue or anything that I worship? No, we may not. But is there something in our heart and our mind and even inside of our attitudes that we turn to and look to to take the place that God wants to have in our heart and our life? Those are the things that we're asking God to shine the light on through Scripture today to say, what is it, Lord, and remove it from our heart and our life. We know we're approaching Thanksgiving here, this uh, U.S. holiday, this fourth Thursday in November, that's really not much more than Turkey Day to a lot of people, right? Be honest, and you know, they know they're supposed to be thankful to some degree for something or to somebody, and, but it's going to be very quickly drowned out by football, food, and fellowship, and they're going to quickly forget the, the echo of the voice that there's a creator who is worthy of their thankfulness. You know, thankfulness and being thankful is something that's important in our society. And it's something that we all are taught when we were very little, and it's something that those of us as parents are some of the first things we teach our kids as proper etiquette toward people in society, isn't it? How to be thankful, how to say thank you. When they're given a piece of candy and and they just start quickly unraveling and eating and walking away, oh, what do you say? You say thank you right? And we teach this at a young age, and and we even expect this as adults, and and we say thank you. And and here's the thing, though. When we tell little, you know, Johnny or, or, or little Sue to say thank you, and they turn and do it, is there truly an understanding of that gratitude in their heart? Oftentimes, probably not. And it's just something they just say and move on. How many times do you and I do that? 
where somebody says we should be thankful, say thank you, and we say the words, but do we truly have the gratitude and the understanding in our heart? Guys, what we're about to face this Thursday with this Thanksgiving holiday is just the same because many of us will spout out a prayer over a meal. Many of us will say we're thankful in our heart for family and, and the food and, and, the, and the provision that we have. We will say that, but do we truly understand and know the gratitude that we're to have toward a creator who's given us every single thing we have? And get this, there is not a single one of us in here that can definitively do anything to make sure you have that stuff that you're thankful for tomorrow can't so who are we truly to be thankful to and for and how what does that look like we're going to look at that today because is thankfulness just simply a a feeling or words even the popular atheists and evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins said that he had a described feeling of a sort of abstract gratitude toward the universe and its function so is that it? Is thankfulness something that we generically can just have outside of faith? Is the thankfulness that the Bible commands us to have just this fleeting feeling and, and words? Or is it different? Well, let's look at that today because we want to know. Because is, we're going to see the opposite of being thankful, guys, is being in idolatry. I, nothing screams unthankfulness to God like idolatry. And we know, again, that we're so prone to it. It's all around us in our world. And one of the biggest things we think of, probably one of the most prevalent idols in our society today, is materialism. It's the search for things and the, the things to make us happy of buying stuff and having homes and cars and clothes and this, that, and the other. And just, just stuff. And we know we live in a very materialistic society. Let me read some statistics for you. The average American home has 300,000 items inside of it. Can you imagine that? Isn't that crazy? On average, every American throws away over 68 pounds of clothing per year. That's crazy. Just excess. And I'm about to share with you now a statistic right here that I'm a little apprehensive to do, and you say, hold up, Brad. You say, yeah, man, after the past few weeks, you've spoke on things like uh, human sexuality and fornication and, and politics and alcohol last week. Yeah, no, but I've asked the Lord to cover me in this one. Are you ready? Because I'm going to talk about a lady in her clothing. Right? American woman, average American woman has 103 items of clothing in her wardrobe. And some will be like, shoot, 103? I got that in one drawer. What are you talking about? <laughs> Keep going. It says, but she considers 21% of her wardrobe to be unwearable, 33% too tight, 24% too loose, 12% is new, still got the tags on it and never been worn, and 10% is what she actually uses. Lord, protect me. And we could go on with the men, too, with our golfing, hunting, and fishing stuff and everything else. But the point is, is the excess, the materialism. 
The average American spends, or America spends about $1.2 trillion a year on non-essential items as a whole. Get this one. America has 3.1% of the world's children living in it, but we own 40% of the toys consumed globally. 3.1% of the children, and we have 40%, almost half of the toys consumed and used globally. An average 10-year-old in America has 238 toys, but only plays with 12 of them. Average American home has more televisions than people now. And I remember a time when my dad said, if you saw a TV in somebody's home, that meant they were really rich. And we have more TVs than homes, than people in the home. The average size of the American home has nearly tripled over the past 50 years, where the average family size has dropped by 25%. So our family size gets smaller, but the home we live in gets three times as big. The average person now has nearly $54,000 of debt per person in America, per household, more than $155,000 in debt. When asked, 55% of Americans say they're unhappy with their current income and wish they had more, although the median household income now in the United States is $80,000 a year. Guys, we live in excess. And we have a materialistic culture that wants to take the focus off of Christ and put it on stuff and things we have and things we need to get. And it can become an idol in our heart and in our mind and take the place that Christ wants to have in our life. So how do we avoid idolatry? How do we have a heart of thankfulness today as we approach this Thanksgiving season and, and we know we're supposed to be thankful? What does that look like? So let's look biblically at what thankfulness really is. Let's look at why we should do it. Let's look at when we should do it. Let's look at how we should do it. And let's see the result in our life of when we are truly thankful to a God who provides it all. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Because, Lord, we come here today to worship you, to magnify you, to glorify you. And, Lord, right now, as we dive deep into your word again, Father, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, on a subject that every single one of us need to hear and become doers of. Lord, to be reminded that there's a battle going on for our heart and our mind, that there's an enemy who wants to shift our focus away from you and onto things that we see, things that we touch, things that just provide temporary happiness, but nothing that gives eternal fulfillment. So Lord, I pray that we would hear your word today, and Lord, that we would hear it properly, that we would not get a condemnation message, that we would be convicted where needed. But, Lord, that we would also know that, Father, you've provided things for us to enjoy, and there's no harm in that. But at the same time, we need to make sure that we're truly thankful and understand what that means and what that looks like as a follower of Christ so that other people can see you in us. So come, Lord Jesus, speak to us and do what only you can do through the presentation of your word and through the moving of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so turn with me, if you will, if you have a copy of God's Word, to Luke chapter 17. And our teaching passage that we're going to start in today is verse 11 through 19. So Luke chapter 17, verse 11 through 19. And we're going to read a story here about Jesus and him being approached by a group of people. So let's look at that real quick. Let's read God's word together. It says, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Circle the word there in your Bible if you have a hard copy or highlight it. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, circle the word one or highlight it. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God, fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. So here we have this story, this picture of a group of 10 men who were healed from at the time a horrific, untreatable disease. And this one that comes back is a despised Samaritan. First we see the picture of Jesus walking on this border of Samaria, and and any good Jew would have went 50 miles out of the way to go around that place. And Jesus walked right through the middle of it. Because he always meets people where they're at. Because he is no respecter of person of the outside because God looks at the heart, right? So we can get that message first and foremost. But then it goes deeper. Because this Samaritan, along with the others, were lepers. They had leprosy. And we say that a lot today in the church. We know that that's a very common biblical disease. It talks about it a lot. I don't think we truly understand what leprosy is because we don't have issues with it today. So we don't know, all right? But leprosy and people who had leprosy were basically, they become a social outcast, all right? Nobody was to be around them. Talk about social distance from society, Six feet, try 60 yards. Nobody wanted to be near these people, all right? They often lived in caves in very unhealthy, despicable circumstances and situations. A lot of times they would have bells around them so you could hear them coming, so you could keep away. Can you imagine that? When you heard a bell coming and ringing, you knew to go away from this person. With leprosy, It causes skin ulcers, nerve damage, and muscle weakness. And if left untreated, which it was in that day, it eats away at the nervous system of people to the point where you lose fingers and have disfigured faces. So I want to show you a little picture of kind of what we're talking about. Because even that may not be really give you a visual picture. So I'm going to show a couple pictures here of what leprosy does 
to somebody. Do we have those images to pull up? There's a face of somebody with leprosy, untreated. Let's go to the next one. Look at the hands. You see any fingers there? The sores on the arms. So guys, this is what we're talking about. Turn people into where they almost looked unhuman, disfigured, like monsters. And Jesus was right here to meet these people. All right? So huge message already. And this is what happens. We get this story that Jesus sends them to the priest, which was customary at the time. And the whole time, the Bible's saying there. They lifted their voices. They went. So we see all 10 of them were asking for healing. All 10 of them knew who Jesus was. All 10 of them walked and did what Jesus initially asked them to do and go into the priest to be healed because they wanted something. And they knew that's how they would get it. But then it says when they were healed, only one returned. But they were all healed. And I mean, can you imagine this? You've seen these pictures. So these these men probably looked a lot like these faces, these figures that we just saw. Can you imagine that moment where after they see the priest and then they are healed and they're walking away and they're looking down and they're like, and they're looking at their buddy like, dude, I've got fingers. And can you see their buddy like, yeah, that's cool, man. The heck with your fingers. Dude, you got a face, (laughs) Right? You got a nose, man. Look at your kitchen. Oh, I do have a nose because he probably didn't have mirrors everywhere like we have today. It's like, I do, right? Can you imagine this moment? They're all healed. And they're all probably to some extent thankful in some way. Maybe verbally, like, oh man, I'm so glad and so thankful for Jesus. I'm so glad we met him on the way. I'm so glad he came through Samaria. This is so awesome. But yet only one goes back to Jesus. I want us to get that message today. Only one. Even though all ten probably felt thankful to some extent. And Jesus asked three questions here in this passage and then ends with one statement as we look at it. And the three questions he asked is first is, were there not ten who were cleansed? Second question Where are the other nine? Third, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Three questions so you can see in it the pain that Jesus felt to know that only one person was truly thankful and gave praise and glory to him for what happened. And then he ends with this statement. Arise to this one, go your way, your faith has made you well. And I want us to look at that for just a second, really quick, because this word well in the King James Version says whole, your faith has made you whole. And it's the Greek word sodezo. What does that word mean? Sodezo, when you look it up, means safe, to save, to rescue from danger and destruction. And inside of that, it also has a concept of physical healing, but more so, what is it pointing to, people? The heart and the spiritual healing that's really taking place in this man. Because he's truly known and become thankful to the point of surrender and falling down at the feet of God and acknowledging who he is in his life. Have you done that? 
Or do you just have a fleeting moment of thankfulness and gratitude with your lips, but you go on about your way like the other nine did, probably with some level of thankfulness in your heart, but totally just looking to what you need to do next, who you need to show your fingers and face to, who you need to go show the gift off to. And so many times we get caught up in that. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. It has saved you. I want you to know that this word, well, this Greek word, sodezo, is the same word that the Philippian jailer used to Paul and Silas in prison when he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Saved is that word, sodezo. Pretty cool, huh? Your faith has made you well. Not your faith has just given you a gift of a physical healing. Your faith has saved your soul. And you're truly thankful and fallen on your face because you know and you understand what's just happened here and who I am. Have you done that in your heart, in your life, to a holy God who's given you everything? Beautiful picture. So 10 were probably thankful to some extent, but only one came back to Jesus. Guys, the same happens today, where we have a thankfulness in our heart and a, maybe with our words, but maybe we truly haven't went back and fallen and surrendered to a holy God who's given us everything. And when we read this story with our kind of Western culture mentality, it's so easy for us to just pass along like, oh, well, that, that wasn't polite of those nine people. That, you know, that wasn't really good social etiquette. It really, they really should have gone back and said thank you because we're good at that, right? Again, teaching our kids how to say thank you. And as we get older, it gets a little stronger, like, you know, after birthday gifts or Christmas gifts, make sure you call grandma and grandpa and tell them thank you. And then later in life with, you know, gifts at weddings and, and baby showers and stuff, you got to write out cards and everything, thank you cards and, and whatnot. So we're really good at having that kind of social etiquette of thankfulness. But we look at it so much as just a, show, a social standard and not a deep theological Meaning and value action that God expects to him for everything he's given us. So as we look at this, we're going to look at the what, the why, the when, the how. So part of the what, and we'll continue to answer this through scripture as we go along. What is thankfulness then? Is it just words or feelings? No. So if you're writing or taking notes, you can put down thankfulness is not just words or feelings but an outflow or an overflow, if you will, of the heart that leads to complete surrender and allegiance to Christ made evident by decisions and actions of the person. There's thankfulness. It's more than words. It's more than a feeling this Thursday. It's an act of surrender of your life that starts in your heart. Has it overflowed into how you live your life and given your life back to Christ? And then why? Why should we be thankful? Well, right here we can see and wholeheartedly claim Jesus expected it. Weren't there 10? Where are the other nine? Is this the only one? He expected thankfulness for what he's done, so we know Jesus expects it and the Bible commands it. So let's continue to look at this today as we get this idea of thankfulness and how it is the opposite of idolatry, all right? So we see clearly Jesus wasn't just thinking, oops, they're bad, you know, they forgot. They must have 
you know, got all caught up in showing their friends their, their new face and stuff, kissing their girlfriend, whatever. I don't know. All right? They got lips now. So be it. Understood, right? But no, it wasn't that. It was, you can't come back to me and fall down like him in worship and glory and surrender and sacrifice for what I've done for you? Why was Jesus so disturbed? Just by the mere action of their ungratefulness? No. Why was Jesus disturbed? Because he cared about their heart. He knew their heart wasn't with him. Guys, that's what it was. So it's not just he expects a mere action for the sake of an action and legalism and, and religion. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for the relationship, the attitude of a heart that changes a man, that saves a man when it's surrendered and given wholeheartedly to God. So we know that Jesus took it as rejection. It was a rejection of their heart toward him. And we can take that same application, that when we are truly not thankful and, and give our lives to Christ, that that is actually rejection to God. No matter what we say with our mouth and no matter what kind of feelings we may have, if we fail to act out through the overflow of our heart, then it's rejection. I want us to get that concept as we move forward, okay? When we fail to take action in our thankfulness, we rob God of his glory. So let's look at Romans chapter 1. And I was going to break this passage up a little bit, but I said we're just going to read the whole thing in totality. So turn with me to Romans chapter 1. We're going to read verses 18 to 22. Romans chapter 1, 18 to 22. All right? Got it? Here we go. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. I want you to get that. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. I want us to get that picture. So because we fail to acknowledge God, those who fail to acknowledge God and fail to be thankful then fall into what? Futile thinking. Can we get that concept? It goes back to the heart. It's a rejection of God and an acceptance and a glorification of the world. And their hearts were darkened. Continue on, verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and the birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to an uncleanliness in their lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Worshiping the gift and not the gift giver. Worshiping the gift and worshiping the life, but not worshiping the giver of life. Get that? 
Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, there's idolatry, a lot of it in there, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, acknowledging the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And it all started with a heart of unthankfulness and acknowledging God. Rejecting God and turned over to futile thinking and all this evil and sin that destroys. So we see that when we don't honor God and truly have this heart of thankfulness, it's really a rejection of God and it leaves us open to worldliness. It leaves our heart and our minds truly open to evil. Why? Because our heart hasn't fully surrendered to God. Do you see that? It's not just the act of thankfulness. It's the heart again. It's the heart. What's inside of a man. So we see failing to honor God and give him thanks is the root here according to Romans 1 and the start of a society that collapses into idolatry in many different ways. Did you see it all? A.W. Tozer said, idolatry is often rooted in worshiping the wrong concept of God or an insufficient concept of God. And boy, do we have a wrong concept and an insufficient concept in American society today of who God is. We treat him like a genie on a bottle, in a bottle. Just give me my stuff, God, and I'll put you back on the shelf. And when I get in trouble, I'm going to call on you again. Be ready. And we get upset if he don't answer as soon as we call, don't we? We have an improper concept of who God is. And we fall into idolatry. We start to worship the gift, the blessing, the things he gives, and not the giver of the blessing, if we're not careful. So we see Romans 1 here. We're not just talking about head knowledge either, are we? What did it say? It's not just that they just knew who God is and believed that he's Lord. Plenty of people believe that. Even demons believe that, James says, but they don't obey What's the difference between it then? The walk of obedience, the walk of the heart that's changed and empowered by the Spirit of God. That's the difference. So it's talking about action, giving thanks with your life, not just your words or a fleeting thought of feeling, but your whole life is beautiful. So unthankfulness, rejection of God. Thankfulness is a heart of living a holy life empowered by the Spirit, and it brings action. Get that. So what are some subtle idols that we can have in our lives? 
We could list a whole bunch here, but just to go through, of course, sexual immorality and everything we've talked about can become an idol and something that we search after and put in place of God. Substances, we've gone through drugs and alcohol last week and talked about how those things can become an idol and we can become psychologically addicted in our life. How about food? Can that become an idol? The Bible talks about something called gluttony. Can that hit us? Absolutely it can. And some people are like, Brad, really, you're going to talk about gluttony and food four days before Thanksgiving, man. Come on. Everybody's already preparing. I'm going to be at the altar to get a little pre-forgiveness going for what's about to go down on Thursday, right? And listen, gluttony right here is not what we're talking about just this one day of holiday where, you know, yeah, a lot of us go a little overboard, right? We eat a little too much. Why? Sometimes we're over our, our families, our in-laws, and man, if you don't try a little bit of something of everything on that table that you're not in good standing with mom no more, right? And grandma, okay? All right, we understand that. So, hey, one day, maybe not so much what we're talking about, but what gluttony is, if you look at the definition, is a habitual greed and excess of eating food. So has it become a habit, an indulgent? Has it, are you filling a need mentally, psychologically, and emotionally with something that God wants to take that place for? Okay? There's the gluttony, and it can become an idol, just food. Because we know our physical appetites are basically an analogy of our ability to control ourselves, right? Can we control our fleshly desires? And if we're unable to control our eating habits, we're probably also unable to control other habits in our mind, like lust and covetousness and anger. We're unable to keep our mouths from gossip and talking bad about people and everything else that we want to just fly off the handle at. The Bible is very clear. We're not to let our appetites, our, our, uh, our physical desires control us, but we're to have control over our appetites. What is another idol that we could hit on? Our hobbies, right? Hunting, fishing, golfing, whatever. Is it something that we put in the place of God? And please don't get me wrong. Don't get the wrong message. Does that mean we can't enjoy anything in life, Brad? No. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible's saying. But at the point we start to put these things ahead of God and lean on them for our comfort and our, our, our peace, if you will, we're starting to get in a dangerous spot and we really need to check ourselves for idolatry. Okay? Big one. We already talked about a little bit at the beginning. Materialism and material things. We could go in there. We've already hit that a lot. But big concept and, and thing that we all are guilty of is one point or another, and you say, oh, come on, Brad, no, ever been into Walmart and come out with 10 more things than you went in for? Right there, just excess, things we don't need. You go in for one, you come out with 20, right? And Walmart's set up to do that to us, too. It's a trap, I'm telling you, man. That's why they put all that stuff in the middle of the aisle. It's like, ooh, right? It's eye candy. You don't need it, but you know they know you'll buy it, okay? So they put it right where you got to, right in your face while you're trying to look for something, Still, we need to know that that's not our, our concept, our attitude. And you could go into even shopping and, and online shopping. That's big today. And, man, you could spend more money than you know about real quick because it's just a click of a button and you don't see the money pass through your hands, do you? And you almost have no concept of what's going out and all these things keep coming to your house, coming to your house, coming to your house, coming to your house. And it begins to fill you up inside. You feel good because you're getting things and stuff. And it's materialism if we're not careful. And it takes our eyes off of Christ. So when this leper came back to Jesus 
to praise and thank him for what he's done in his life. There was action to that and surrender by falling down at his feet. And one thing that was never said was, thank you, Lord. Now can I, can I get some stuff? You know, now I really need some, some, some things. I've been living in a cave, so how about a house? How about a, how about a, a new camel with a gold saddle, right? And a new carriage or, or something, you know, with some 24-inch chrome rims on it. I mean, all the things, the material things, right? He didn't go back to Christ with that. How many times do we ask for stuff? The giver of life, and we just go and ask for a raise, for money. Why? So we can give more to Christ and the church and the mission? That would be great if that's what you're asking for it for. But oftentimes it's so we know that we can spend it on ourselves. And James talks about that as well. We ask, but we ask with the wrong motive. So we can just spend it on what we want. So we can have a bigger home and keep up with the Joneses and have a new car and have new clothes and have things. And it's the wrong motive. It's very clear on that. What else could be an idol? Here's, I'm going to end with a last one that some people may not consider an idol, but it is laziness. Laziness. Not wanting to do anything. Not wanting to go to work. I can get $600 a month sitting on my bum at home. Why do I want to go to work for? I can make more money unemployed. Laziness. I don't care which way you try to paint it and don't paint it. It's materialism in a different way, thinking that everything should just be given to you. And you shouldn't have to work for it. You say, hold on, Brad, you're giving your opinion here? I never give my opinion up here. Can we read some scripture to solidify that? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, turn with me. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. The Bible says this, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. What is that teaching, Paul? Let's look. For you yourselves know you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. You ready? The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. I'm just going to lay that softly down right there. Please don't get the condemnation message, but please get the conviction message if it applies. God doesn't expect you to sit around with your hand out and live off the government. Don't get me wrong. We're talking about able-bodied people who are able to work. Some of you have disabilities and stuff and cannot. That is not what we're discussing here. What we're talking about is the person that can work, should work, and can work, and they're not at work. The Bible says you shouldn't eat. Okay? 
And we could go through a whole lot more scripture in that, but I'm just going to leave that right there. So moving on, moving away from these idols, how does it look as we become thankful? And what does this more look like in our heart? Look at Ephesians chapter 5, 1 through 4. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Paul, again, speaking to the church at Ephesus, he says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you. Did you get covetousness? What's coveting? Wanting more. Wanting stuff. Wanting what somebody else has. Boy, that's a good one for America today, isn't it? It says, don't even let it be mentioned among you as is fitting for the saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. We see that the opposite of thankfulness is a life of unrighteousness. Are you seeing that? True thankfulness, not just the act, not just the the words and the action, but the heart of thankfulness is surrender to God, and that brings righteousness. Can we see that? It's, It's so clear through Romans, through Ephesians, right here, of everything that God's calling us to. So to command to walk in love, that's relationally. A command to to walk in the light, all right, that's morally. And giving thanks is paired with this righteousness that Christ wants us to have truly in our heart. And lived out. So, how do we do it? Do you know Jesus is Lord today? I mean, is he really Lord? Or do you just have head knowledge of who God is? Head knowledge of who Jesus is. You know the things he can give, just like these lepers did. But are you one of the nine who have just received some stuff from the Lord and, and give him a superficial blessing but go on about your way? Or are you the one who's coming back and surrendered and fallen on your knees and cried holy and surrendered your will to God's will with that heart and attitude of thankfulness? That's it. That's it. It's kind of hard to not live a life like that if we're truly thankful. It's kind of hard to to fall into all this unrighteousness the Bible speaks of if we're truly surrendered to God, right? I mean, it's kind of hard to have lust in your heart and end up in bed with someone else if you're truly loving your spouse like Christ wants you to. If you're truly surrendered to God and thankful for who you have, you mean this person with their problems and their snoring and, and, yeah, that person, Are you truly thankful for who God's blessed you with to do life with, to do ministry with, your ministry partner for life, to do the Great Commission, to go and reach the lost, to raise kids in the admonition of the Lord, to go and shoot them like arrows into the darkness? Yeah, that person. Get your heart and eyes off the world and put it back on Jesus and be thankful to him. And then you won't have to worry about falling into unrighteousness if we're doing it the right way. It's hard to surf the internet for images to satisfy your lack of intimacy in your heart if you're truly thankful for who God's placed you with. It's kind of hard. We could go through it with money and everything else. It's kind of hard to to be focused on, on more and just wanting stuff if we're 
just simply wanting money so we can give it to people who need it and give it to the ministry and give it to fund God's work. You see the difference? It's like kryptonite. Greed and giving are totally opposites. Matter of fact, the, the, uh, probably the only proof we have that the cancer of greed does not consume us is giving. Because it shows that we're not materialistic in our, in our desires and what God's having us to do. And the moment that we stop giving thanks by our actions from our heart is what we have is the moment that our thinking goes the other direction. And the enemy wants to pull us away. So when should we be thankful? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 18 tells us when we should be thankful. If you're ready for this, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So when should we do it? Just this Thursday? Just on Sundays? Every day, all day. In everything. James even tells us this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of many kinds. That, that means even in the bad times, even in the hardships, even in adversity, that we're thankful. What do you mean? We're thankful for the adversity? No, no. We don't have to be losing our mind crazy. But we're thankful because we know God's using it to strengthen us, and it's an opportunity for us to shine Christ by what we're going through. So, am I thankful for this cancer? No. But I'm thankful because I know that God's at work through it. See the difference? I can still rejoice and give thanks even in the darkest of situations knowing that God's at work and that other people are going to know Jesus and hear about Jesus because I'm going to go see a doctor and I'm going to go see a nurse that I never would have met had this stuff not entered my body. Why? How can we still have joy and peace like that? We talked about this with Paul going through Philippians. Because we can know and be assured that as a follower of Christ, if you're truly in Christ, that you will be delivered. Are you ready for how you can be delivered? You can be delivered through it, which means God's going to walk you through to the end. Or you can be delivered out of it. He can miraculously heal and take you out of it. Or he can deliver you unto himself. And all the people will be like, oh. But that's the best thing that can happen to a follower of Jesus. Is you punch your ticket out of here. That's what Paul said. Man, I'd far much rather be there. But if God wants me here to help you guys, I'm here and I'm ready. Let's go. Do you have that attitude? That's delivery. Delivery through it, delivery out of it, or delivery to himself. But either way, no matter what happens, you will be delivered in Christ. 100% guaranteed. And there's thankfulness inside of that. So how, what does it look like, and what's the result? How, I think we've talked about it, and I think you've seen it so many times as we close, that it looks like sacrifice. Giving of ourselves, we're so thankful that we give Christ our heart and our life, our full attention, that we don't just like the nine run off and show off the gift, but we look at the giver. And we know we're coming up on Christmas and how it's a, a big deal and we get gifts under the tree and stuff, right? And that's the, you know, the, the secular idea of the holiday. And there's nothing wrong with celebrating that. And if we keep the right perspective and the right understanding that, that Christmas truly is about the gift and it's Christ. And that's our next sermon series coming up after this is the gift through Christmas. 
So it, but at the same point, at Christmas, we're, we're so caught up, we unravel the, the present or whatever, take it out of the bag. And, and what does everybody do? Say, let me see it, right? Hold it up. Let me take a picture of it. And we hold up the gift. And we're like, look, look at the gift. Look at the gift. And in Christ, it should be different. That the emphasis is not on the gift that he's given, but it's on the giver of the gift, the giver of life. So you put it in that same scenario, you unravel the gift. It's like, let me see. And instead of holding up the gift, you grab grandma and hold her up. Here she is. Take her picture. Don't do that. <laughs> but you get the concept. It's like, you've got a gift. You've got a gift. Yeah, good. Look at the giver. That's what it's all about. That's who my life's for. That's who I'm thankful to. This is who I serve. This is who I love. And it always points back to Jesus and not the gift or the self. I think Colossians chapter 3, as we completely close, gives a tremendous picture of how we should be thankful and what it looks like. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 5 and verses 16 and 17. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. There it is again. Which is idolatry. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what are four things in there of what it looks like to truly be thankful You ready? One, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Have you done that? You are not truly thankful for who God is and what he's doing in your life if your mind is set on the things of this earth. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Two, put to death your members which are on the earth. What does that mean? Die to yourself. Die to your flesh. Jesus said himself, If a man wants to save his own life, he'll lose it. But if he loses his life for my sake, he'll find it. What are you looking for? I promise you'll find it and everything else that you're looking for only when you surrender and give your life to Christ. Otherwise, the promise is opposite. You can just search and run your whole life like the nine away from God, looking for something else to fill you up. But you'll never find what you're looking for outside of him. So put to death the flesh and the fornication and the covetousness and the idolatry, all that's inside of that. That's what it looks like to be thankful. Number three, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly for all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. That's the truth of scripture, Timothy tells us. Paul tells us to Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in all righteousness. The psalmist said, I hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Being thankful is hiding God's word in our heart and letting it transform our mind. 
Therefore, then we don't have to conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but we're transformed into Christ. Number four, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's giving thanks. Everything you do, every bit of who you are, are you doing it for the glory of God? God may have given you a gift to be a great leader, to be a business owner. God may have given you a great gift to be an athlete, that you can, you're really strong, you're really fast, you can run the football really well, you can spike the heck out of a volleyball, you can hit a baseball like nobody else. Great, you've got a gift. But are you worshiping the gift or letting people worship the gift in you? Or are you pointing it back to Jesus so that other people, including yourself, worship God? Has your gift therefore become a platform where everything you do, you do to the glory of God? That's thankfulness. Anything short of that is just a feeling and words to God. Are you thankful? So, in closing, how thankful are you right now to Christ? How Christ-focused is your life would be another way to ask it. Because that's true thankfulness. It's at the heart of surrender that brings action to a holy God. How would you feel if you gave me gifts And I just continuously said, thank you. But I had no regard for you as a person. Didn't really care about who you are, what was going on in your life. But you kept giving me gifts and I kept saying, thank you. Would you start to wonder about my heart? Would you feel insulted? No matter what you did for me, I'd said the, the proper etiquette, what I was supposed to do, but you know, deep down inside, I didn't really care about your character, your personality, your life, who you are. I think the same concept happens so many times with God and us. We say thank you, but without action and surrender and sacrifice, we truly haven't understood who he is in the magnitude of his glory. No different than maybe an adulterer. Let's say a wife that has a husband that's really well off and she receives all the gifts and money and everything that her husband provides, but then takes that money and uses it to go out and spend on her adulterous affair with her lover. That's what James chapter four alludes to that when we pray with the wrong motives and ask with the wrong motives in our heart, it's like the adulterous woman looking to the husband for more money so she could then take that gift and go spend it on herself and her lover and her sin. That's what happens when we look to a holy God and just ask for things and stuff with the wrong motive and the wrong attitude to spend on ourselves and our own desires. So let's turn that around and get it right today. Nothing wrong with things, nothing wrong with money, not a thing wrong in this world with enjoying the stuff sometimes that money can bring. But has it grabbed your heart? Has it consumed you? There's the big difference of idolatry. Or are you thus looking at your your finances and your giving or the raise you want so you can 
fund the ministry of Christ and give. There's the right attitude. So where's our heart today? Is it in the things of this world or is it caught up in Christ? Let's bow our head. Let's close our eyes right now and just want to know if there's anybody here first and foremost and you've never received Jesus. You've been in church. You've heard about him. You know he's Lord. You know he's Jesus. You believe he's God. You have head knowledge, but you've never downloaded it to your heart. You've never surrendered. You've never fallen on your knees and cried holy to God and you're surrendering your will to God's will. Have you ever done that? If you haven't, I want you to do that right now, today, and be saved, the Bible says, to be sodexo, right? That Greek word we talked about, your faith has made you well. Will you put your faith, your trust, your hope in God alone right now and surrender to him? I'm going to lead you through a prayer from your heart to God's heart, and I'm going to ask you to, to do business with God. Or you're here and you say, Brad, I've walked in and out of church doors a lot of my life. I've even committed my life to Christ previously, but lately I've walked away, I've drifted, I've deviated. I want to come running back to the throne today. If that's you and you want to receive him for the first time or rededicate your life right now, just pray this prayer from your heart to God's heart. Just say, dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you, my Savior. To this point in my life, I've been living for the things of this world, focused on myself in so many ways. And it has separated me from you. And today I want to make a change. I'm surrendering all of me to all of you right now. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to down the cross. That I could have forgiveness of my sin. And then raising from the grave three days later, proving that he was God and all victory over hell, death, and the grave. And I want and I claim that same victory right now in my life. So, Lord, my commitment right now to you is from this day forward, every step I take and every breath I make is all for your glory. Use me. Amen. If you prayed that prayer right now, you meant business with God to receive him for the first time or rededicate your life to him boldly and unashamed right now between you and God. This is not for me. Would you raise your hand just as a stance from you to God and say, I prayed that prayer. I meant business with God today. Amen. If I don't see your hands, God does give the Lord a big round of applause for who he is and the truth of his word and what he continues to do in and through this church and through the presentation of his word. So let's take this as we do each week and let's become doers and not just hearers of his word. Let's let the Lord transform and change us. Let's remember this story in scripture of the the 10 lepers and let's not be like the nine that Jesus was looking for and wondering where they at. Let's be the one that goes back. Always thankful and surrender in action of thankfulness to a holy God who loves us and gave himself up for us. So let's take this this week and let's go make an impact for Christ. Being thankful in every action and every way this week. Grab a friend, grab a loved one, grab somebody you know, or just run into this week and bring them to church next Sunday as we continue in our sermon series, Counterculture. You don't want to miss it. Lord bless you, and we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work, and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact 
for Christ. 